Then I heard a loud voice from the temple telling the seven angels, Go, and pour out on the earth the seven bowls of the wrath of God. So the first angel went and poured out his bowl on the earth, and harmful and painful sores came upon the people who bore the mark of the beast and worshipped its image. The second angel poured out his bowl into the sea, and it became like the blood of a corpse, and every living thing died that was in the sea. The third angel poured out his bowl into the rivers and the springs of water, and they became blood. And I heard the angel in charge of the waters say, Just are you, O Holy One, who is and who was. For you brought these judgments. For they have shed the blood of saints and prophets, and you have given them blood to drink. It is what they deserve. And I heard the altar saying, Yes, Lord God the Almighty, true and just are your judgments. The fourth angel poured out his bowl on the sun, and it was allowed to scorch people with fire. They were scorched by the fierce heat, and they cursed the name of God who had power over these plagues. They did not repent and give him glory. The fifth angel poured out his bowl on the throne of the beast, and its kingdom was plunged into darkness. People gnawed their tongues in anguish, and cursed the God of heaven for their pain and sores. They did not repent of their deeds. The sixth angel poured out his bowl on the great river Euphrates, and its water was dried up to prepare the way for the kings from the east. And I saw, coming out of the mouth of the dragon, and out of the mouth of the beast, and out of the mouth of the false prophet, three unclean spirits like frogs. For they are demonic spirits, performing signs who go abroad to the kings of the whole world to assemble them for battle on the great day of God the Almighty. Behold, I am coming like a thief. Blessed is the one who stays away, keeping his garments on, that he may not go about naked and be seen exposed. And they assembled them at the place that in Hebrew is called Armageddon. The seventh angel poured out his bowl into the air. And a loud voice came out of the temple from the throne, saying, It is done. And there were flashes of lightning, rumblings, peals of thunder, and a great earthquake such as there had never been since man was on the earth. So great was that earthquake. The great city was split into three parts, and the cities of the nations fell. And God remembered Babylon the great to make her drain the cup of the wine of the fury of his wrath, and every island fled away, and no mountains were to be found. And great hailstones, about one hundred pounds each, fell from heaven on people, and they cursed God for the plague of the hail, because the plague was so severe. All right, good morning. What would you do to have a voice like that? I wonder if that kid hit about 12, 13 years old and he started talking, that guy talking like that. You're destined to be a voice, voice of the Bible. Well, thanks for being here today. I'm uh, Pastor Dave, <clears throat> and uh, if you're a guest, uh, Brian is out this weekend. And he'll be back next week. So I get to fill in for Brian. 
and I am glad to be here. And it's good to see all of you here. Some of you I don't recognize, so maybe you're new for a little bit uh, since I've been here last. And uh, let me say welcome and thanks for coming. And I hope you'll, in, uh, I was going to say endure the next 30 minutes, but I hope you'll, you'll enjoy the next 30 minutes. Well, the weather's so good, isn't it? It's hard to take naps on days like today's, but I think I'm going to be able to do it. How about you? Anybody? Yeah. Well, we're in uh, uh, the sixth of seven messages on the themes of Revelation. And we've been kind of, uh, kind of stay at the top and then skipping down beneath the surface to dig up some of the things and discuss. But we don't want to stay down there too far because if we get caught up in the, in the seaweed, if we get caught up in the, in the details, we'll, we might miss the, the big picture. And if you've been around the church, if you've been around the Bible, you, you know the book of Revelation has one big picture. Actually, the whole Bible has one big picture, and it's about Jesus, right? It's all about Jesus, and the book of Revelation especially is, is that, is that uh, Jesus is the, is the one we want to be with, right? He's the one we want to be with at the end, and that's what the book of Revelation is talking about, the end of time. It's the end of time. <clears throat> Up on those verses we just heard, that's chapter 16, and that's the pouring out of the seven bowls of wrath. And in, in, in my opinion, the seven bowls of wrath and the seven trumpets and the seven seals all point to one great event, one great event that we're all looking forward to, and that is the second coming of Christ. All of them are just different angles, different views of the second coming. But that one was the worst. That one was the, or the most graphic, let me say. It was the, if you heard that, the, there are a lot of people suffering uh, in that chapter there. As God pours out the bowls of his wrath on uh, the unrighteous. But today's theme is not wrath as it was the last two weeks. It's judgment. Because uh, uh, God's judgment is coming, isn't it? Judgment day is coming. We'll talk more about that in a minute. Now we've we've talked about Revelation, how it has a it kind of has a an, a sense of mystery in it. It has a sense of of uh, in, in intrigue uh, to us because we don't know everything that the writer or that Jesus was revealing to John, and we don't know what everything means. And so we, you and I, not only are we uh, twenty centuries later. But we, uh, uh, you know, we just, we just can't know because we're human. Our brains are finite. And don't let that bother you because there are, you know, there's something Jesus didn't know. And he said in Matthew 24, he said uh, concerning that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, nor the Son of Man, but only the Father. So there are a lot of things that we have to live with. Uh, some uncertainty, or some uh, not uncertainty so much as uh, I- ignorance. Can I use that word, ignorance? You know, I made the mistake one time of calling uh, this this uh, young lady, good friend of mine. She was talking about something that was going on, and she didn't know anything about it. And I told her she was ignorant, and that didn't work out too good for me. Let me tell you. So I wouldn't advise that in a normal conversation. But we do, we are ignorant about a lot of things, aren't we? We're ignorant about a lot of things. There's things we don't know. And here's the deal. We don't even know what we don't know. You with me? We don't even know what we don't know. Uh, 
So we're in chapters 19 and 20. This is six of seven. Next week, we'll wrap this series up. We'll have hit everything that uh, we felt like was important. And we're going we're gonna to talk about 19 and 20, which is really judgment day. It's judgment day. And the word that, that we're going to kind of spring from is this word in chapter 20 called the millennium. Millennium. Now, how many years is a millennium? 1,000 years. 1,000 years. Uh, you might remember how many of you around at Y2K, when Y2K turned the map. You remember how we were all, there were preppers and there were people who were storing up and, and uh, uh, you know, we were all kind of a little bit nervous what was going to happen to the electronic grid and the, uh, you know, the uh, internet grid or whatever. <clears throat> but we survived, didn't we? And we've turned the page on another millennium and that's a thousand years. Now, I'll tell you that because how you view the thousand years in the book of Revelation might indicate your view of the book of Revelation. Let's just jump into chapter 20, then we'll come back and pick up 19, all right? Then I saw an angel coming down from heaven, holding in his hand the key to the bottomless pit and a great chain. And he seized the dragon, that ancient serpent, who is the devil and Satan, and bound him for a thousand years. And threw him into the pit and shut it and sealed it over him so that he might not deceive the nations any longer until the thousand years were ended. After that, he must be released for a little while. Then I saw thrones and seated on them were those to whom the authority to judge was committed. Also, I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded for the testimony of Jesus and for the word of God. And those who had not worshipped the beast or its image and had not received its mark on their foreheads or on their hands. They all came to life and reigned with Christ a thousand years. The rest of the dead did not come to life until the thousand years were ended. This is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy is the one who shares in the first resurrection. Over such the second death has no power. But they will be priests of God and of Christ, and they will reign with him for a thousand years. So when you read about this thousand year period that the, that the devil is chained, that he is he is chained in the abyss, you got to ask yourself, is this a literal period of time? Is this a future period of time, literal and future? And if the devil is chained now, if you say it's now, then what in the world's going on in our world? It doesn't seem like he's chained. And so it really depends on how you view this thousand-year period. Is it figurative or is it literal? Now, when we look at the book of Revelation, we see a lot of graphic language, and we see a lot of symbolic language. Numbers are symbolic, and if you were here for the first sermon, the introductory sermon, you remember we went through a list of numbers, like the number four, the four uh, living creatures that represents the earth, and uh, and 12, and, and 24 represent Old Testament, New Testament, the redeemed church. And the number 10 is a, is a, indicates a certain period of time. Uh, the number 12 is the, is the or multiples of 12, is, represents the people of God. And so there's different views of how you, you look at this. Now, I want to I just take a minute or two just to tell you the two major views of this book. I know maybe some of you don't care, and really in the end, it doesn't matter a lot, but this will educate you, and if you can't go to, come to church and be educated and inspired, Right? You want a little bit of edu- education. So I wanted, there's two major views. <clears throat> now, there used to be three, 
But the post-millennial view is really a thing of the past. It doesn't really apply anymore. Um, when the forefathers came here to America, they thought America would usher in a golden age of peace. And that's why you have a lot of the, uh, the little things on your money and different things worked into our fabric because they thought that. But that's obviously not going to be the case. So let's look at the two major views. First is the most popular view, and it's the view of premillennialism. Pre means before the millennial, which means before the thousand years. So the idea here is that the second coming of Christ happens before the thousand years. All right, and then premillennialists see this as a linear, they see the book of Revelation as a linear, linear timetable. In other words, this represents this time, this represents this time, this represents, and it just goes linear. It's, uh, you know, so you can look, at, as you get closer to the end of the book of Revelation, it's closer to the end of time. So the next thing to happen in their view, which I just gave away, it's not my view, but it's their view, and it's a popular view, and it could be the correct view. But I don't think it is. <clears throat> but so, uh, to represent it clearly, let me tell you what it is. So the next thing to happen, in their view, is a secret rapture of the church. Remember the Left Behind series kind of made this view popular. If your parents or grandparents had a school-filled Bible, this was the view. And some whole denominations and churches have bought whole uh, hook, line, and sinker into this view. And so the next thing to happen is that if you're a believer, you'll just disappear one day. And if you're not a believer, but you're with a believer, he or she will disappear and you'll be left behind. And, uh, and so no matter what you're doing, you might be in the middle of a meal, you might be in the middle of a, of a, a race, you might be in the middle of a, uh, of a project, you might be in the middle of uh, talking to your friends or on an airplane ride or whatever, and you're just going to be gone. Boom, you're gone. And in the Left Behind series, uh, the only thing that was left was your clothing. Now, I don't know what that means uh, when it comes to the rapture, but <laughs> that's the way they portrayed it. <clears throat> that's the next thing to happen in this view. After this will be seven years of tribulation. And the closer it gets to the end of seven years, the worse it gets. Seven years of tribulation. Now, I have to tell you, there are lots of different variations of the premillennial view. Some people are pre-trib, some are mid-trib, some are post-trib, some are historical, premillennial, some are dispensational, and it's like, whoa, stop it. <clears throat> and then during this time period, the Antichrist will come, and Antichrist, one. He'll unite the world. He'll be charismatic. Some people believe he'll be Jewish. He'll be a Jewish man who unites the world. <clears throat> and then after the seven-year period, the second coming of Christ happens. Christ will return. Now, this is what I call the second, second coming, because he came the first time to take the church away, but they argue that he didn't put his feet on the ground. He came in the, in the clouds. So, but this is still what I call the second, second coming, which, you know, is nonsense to me, but it, it's okay if you believe this. Uh, I mean, really, you can believe this if you want to. <laughs> I'm kidding, okay? The second coming of Christ, where Christ will rule from Jerusalem, and he'll rule for a thousand years on the earth. And then at the end of the thousand years, Satan will be released for a little while because Satan is bound for the thousand years. And it'll be, it'll be perfect peace on the earth while Jesus is reigning. But I got some questions about that I'll ask in a minute. And then uh, after Satan's release, it's only for a, a, a time to gather his army, his forces. And then there'll be a great big gathering and on the plains of Megiddo, which is the uh, Battle of Armageddon. But it's, there's no battle, really, because one lightning bolt comes and zaps and kills all the devil and his, uh, you know, it just does away with the devil and his forces. And then after that, there'll be the final judgment. <clears throat> 
So that's premillennialism. But I have some questions, for instance. I don't understand the purpose of a thousand-year earthly reign. I don't know what purpose it would serve for Jesus to come to the earth and reign for a thousand years. Let's just go on to heaven. Besides that, in John 18, 36, Jesus said, he said, my kingdom is not of this world. Remember when he said that? He said, it's not of this world. It's not a physical kingdom. And so I've got questions there. Another question is, how long will people live during this thousand years? Will we magically live to be a thousand or whatever you are plus a thousand? Or will you, will you die naturally? I mean, that seems to complicate the rising and and, uh, and resurrections. And then, here's a key question. Why is there still sin and rebellion against God during this thousand-year literal reign of Jesus on the earth? If it all is supposed to be peace and good, there's obviously still sin and rebellion. Number one, because we still have freedom of choice. And number two, because at the end, you'll see where he has to judge those. You might have remembered he, he read that they still didn't repent after all these things happened. So there's still sin and evil. And so that is the premillennial view. Now, that's a popular view, and there's a lot of good arguments, good reasons to believe this view. Okay, I just don't believe it. Uh, but you can believe it, and I'll tell you why you can in just a moment. The view that I share is a millennial view, and the a can mean no millennium, but really what it is is that the, the thousand years is a figurative period of time. It started on uh, Resurrection Sunday, and it's still going until the Lord comes back. 1,000, you know, the number 10 represents completed time, and 10 times 1,000, uh, or 10 times 100 is 1,000, so it's a multiple of a completed time. So it's just a completed time in my mind. Now let's read Second. Peter, and I want to show you about this thousand years. It, in the scripture, it's, it's not really often used to describe a literal time period. For instance, by the same word, the heavens, this is 2 Peter 3, and earth that now exist are stored up for fire, being kept until the day of judgment, destruction of the ungodly. Do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill His promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and the heavens and earth will pass away. Then the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. So that, that leads us to believe that the thousand years, is this is a figurative time period. It's a figurative time period. So let's look at the uh, elements of amillennialism. It, Christ is ruling now. Is there anybody in here who would take issue with me when I said Christ is in charge? Christ is reigning now. I don't think anybody would because he is reigning. Now, does sin still exist? Of course, because we have freedom of choice and evil is still present in the world. Sin still exists, but Jesus is in charge. Make no mistake about it. Tribulation is happening now. It's not going to be a seven-year period. It, it started when Jesus said, you're going to have trouble in this world, but take heart, I've overcome the world. But here's the thing, folks. It's going to get worse as we get closer to the end. The many antichrists have and will come. It, the, will one come? Who knows? He'll just be one of many. Second coming and the rapture are not two separated events like premillennialists say, 
I believe it's one loud, overwhelming event. There is a rapture, but it's going to be when it's over because the trumpet of God will sound, the voice of the archangel, and a loud cry of command, the Bible says. Satan will be released at the end. Now Satan is chained like a dog on a leash by the cross. In Matthew 12, he said, I'm going to go in and bind the strong man. That's what he meant in Matthew 12. He was called Beelzebub, the prince of demons. He said, look, a house divided cannot stand. And then he said, I'm going to go in and bind the strong man. And he was talking about the devil. And the cross did that. So the devil is like a dog on a chain. He's, he's in the abyss. Well, who's at work now? Ephesians 6.12 says there are demonic forces and spiritual things going on out there. The devil has many fallen angels, many followers who are still at work in the world doing his bidding. It's the spirit world. It's a spiritual world. And I want to tell you, it's happening right now. And then the battle of uh, Armageddon and final judgment is a lot like the premillennial view. Now, you don't have to believe my view, the view I believe, or the premillennial view. You, you can believe nothing, or you can believe any of them, but you have to believe this, that something's coming, right? And, and if you're a believer, you have to believe that the book of Revelation points to one day. How it happens is up for grabs, maybe. Uh, I think uh, millennial is the way to look at it, but you might be a pan-millennialist. You know what pan-millennialism is, don't you, Tony? It'll all pan out in the end. So, it'll all pan out. It'll all pan out. So, there are a lot of things we don't know, and we might disagree about how it's going to happen, but one thing we know, God can do it, any way God wants to do it, any time God wants to do it, and for as long as God wants to do it, if it's a thousand literal years or if it's today, right? And if you're a believer, folks, that's what you got to believe. Jesus could come back today and no, owe us no explanation about why he didn't let this happen first and let them do that and let this happen. No. He could come back today and wrap it up and pull the curtain on human history and it'd be over and you couldn't argue with him that this didn't happen in the seven years because you could get the impression that, hey, I'm just going to wait. I'm just going to wait until I see the church gone when all those Christians are gone because that's, again, premillennialism teaches that the church will be gone, everybody will be gone, and then there'll be seven years where you'll have another opportunity to come to Christ. It'll be hard for you, but you'll have an opportunity during the seven years of tribulation. And lots of people, according to their view, are saved during that seven years of tribulation. I just don't, I don't buy that. I don't buy that you can put off your decision to follow Christ until after the rapture and then take your chances on hearing the gospel and coming to Christ during hard times. Just don't think it's going to happen that way, but... Um, it's going to happen, and that's what I want to talk about. There's a lot we don't know, but there are at least three things we do know. Three certainties from these chapters. The first certainty is that the final judgment of God is going to happen. You're going to stand in front of God one day and give an answer for your life. The Bible says, After this I heard what seemed to be the loud voice of a great multitude in heaven crying out, Hallelujah! Salvation and glory and power belong to our God, for His judgments are true and just. For he has judged the great prostitute who corrupted the earth with her immorality and has avenged on her the blood of his servants. Once more they cried out, Hallelujah! And the smoke from her goes up forever and ever. And the 24 elders and the four living creatures fell down and worshiped God who was seated on the throne, saying, Amen! Hallelujah! And the throne came, from the throne came a voice saying, Praise our God, all you his servants, you who fear him, small and great. 
You know, the final judgment is certain, and let me tell you something, knowing that Jesus is returning is more important than knowing when he is returning. Because if you knew when he was returning, you might put off what you ought to do today until then, until moments before then, right? We can't get fixated or dogmatic about our views, but we need to be dogmatic about the fact that the final judgment is coming and the Lord, the King of kings, the Lord of lords will consummate all things and wrap up. Uh, all of time and all of history. And so um, my observation is that if we're not careful living here in 21st century America, that we'll get lax about this. We'll get a little lackadaisical because we'll, we'll get into comfort and we'll get into uh, you know, pleasure and we'll get into the frolic. Remember, I don't know if the quote was used last week, but A.W. Tozer said the, this world, this earth, is not a playground, it's a battlefield. And we're not here to frolic, we're here to fight. And so our fear is that it'll, life will be more about the frolic. You know, I was talking to somebody before church and we were talking about, you know, how hard it is to get people to come to church week in and week out because we live in an age where people, there's so much money, let's be honest, you might think, oh my, I don't have that much money. Yeah, but you got credit cards and people can travel as much as they want. Your parents and grandparents, they never dreamed about being gone as much as some of us are gone on the weekends. I mean, they never dreamed about taking a three or four hour trip because they couldn't afford it. They couldn't afford to do it. They couldn't work it into their schedule. But there, there are people, I'm not talking just about this church or this campus, but all over America, Christians who on the weekends, it's just, you know, we're gone. We're gone because we have the money and it's pleasure time. It's, it's fun time. Now, I'm not against having fun and pleasure and all that, but it kind of makes it hard to set a good example for your kids that church is a priority, that your faith is a priority, that learning and gathering with other believers is a priority, because let's be honest with each other, we love to have fun in this country. Now, you can say ouch or amen right there, but uh, if you're silent, you know, you're stepping on your own toes, because that's who we are. That's who we are. And, and I'm afraid if we're not careful, we get too lackadaisical about the church and about the kingdom and about what we're here to do. So hear that how you, if, let me say it the Bible way, if you have ears to hear, you should hear. You know, let's be honest though, people don't really need to know they're going to hell. People out there, people who are outside of Christ, that's not what I'm saying. But what they need to know is, why does Jesus matter? Why is the church important? Why is my faith important? And why is me living different than the rest of the world important? That's what people need to see. And so here's what I want you to know, that this day is coming, and it's going to come, and it's if you're not careful, going to sneak up on you and it's going to catch you off guard and unprepared. And heaven is a prepared place for a prepared people. Second certainty that I want you to know is that Jesus is the winner. Now, these are things we already know, right? I mean, let's, let's remember what we know. Jesus is the winner. If the book of Revelation is about anything, it's about him. In fact, the whole Bible points to him, but it culminates in the book of Revelation where not only is it uh, forecasting what he might be like, but it is showing who he is. Not just the, the gospel Jesus, but the whole picture of Jesus. We love the gospel Jesus. 
We love the chosen Jesus. We love the manger Jesus. We love that Jesus. We love Jesus meek and mild. But this is Jesus with the chip on his shoulder. And he's coming. Vengeance is mine, saith the Lord, and I will repay. So he's the winner. He's the winner here. Look at Revelation 19. Then I saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse. The one sitting on it is called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes are like a flame of fire, and on his head are many diadems. And he has a name written that no one knows but himself. He is clothed in a robe dipped in blood. I think that's his blood, by the way. And the name by which he is called is the Word of God. And the armies of heaven arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following him on white horses. Now, as people ask sometimes, will there be any animals in heaven? Well, we know there'll be horses in heaven, right? And uh, there's another verse that says there won't be any dogs in heaven. Uh, I'm not, don't, you know, I'm just saying, I don't know, maybe that's figurative. I know for a fact there won't be any cats in heaven, all right? Uh, That just wouldn't, it just wouldn't be right. I mean, cats have to be in charge, right? They always have to be in charge, and they can't be in charge because Jesus is in charge. So, yeah, animals in heaven, horses at least. From his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God the Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh is a name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. What an incredible view of Jesus. he's, He's... Already on the horse before the battle because he's already won. He, this is just showing what's happening. The battle is over. He dug the stake in at Calvary, and now he's come to finish the job. So if he's the winner, who's the loser? Well, you remember the beast from last week? Listen, uh, then I saw an angel standing in the sun with a loud voice. He called to all the birds that fly directly overhead. Y'all hungry? That's the way I translate that. Come gather for the great supper of God to eat the flesh of kings, the flesh of captains, mighty men, the flesh of horses and their riders, and the flesh of all men, both free and slave, both small and great. And I saw the beast and the kings of the earth with their armies gathered to make war against him who was sitting on the horse and against his army. And the beast was captured, and with it the false prophets, by the way, that's the other beast, the sea beast, who in its presence had done the signs by which he deceived those who had received the mark of the beast and those who worshipped its image. These two, the land beast and the sea beast, sea beast is called the false prophet because he represents uh, uh, a false religion, were thrown alive into the lake of fire that burns with sulfur and the rest were slain by the sword that came from the mouth of him who was sitting on the horse and all the birds were gorged with their flesh. Does anyone have lunch plans? Looks like the two beasts from last week are the losers. Looks like they're the losers. And anyone else who opposes the one riding on the white horse, Jesus, is the loser, is going to be the loser. Remember the headline from last week? The dragon is defeated. Now, when I put that up in St. Albans, some people thought I was talking about the football team, you know, the St. Albans Red Dragons. And seriously, I don't know who picked their mascot, but whoever it was didn't know the Bible, did they? I mean, the Red Dragon is defeated. Now, don't you all share all that with the St. Albans folks, but uh, they need to change their mascot, I think, to get on a winning uh, program. Well, who else is defeated? Well, the two beasts are defeated, yeah, and the dragon is defeated. We said that last week, but let's read it here. Chapter 20, when the thousand years are ended, Satan will be released from his prison and will come out to deceive the nations that are at the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them for battle. Their number is like the sand of the sea. 
And they marched up over the broad plain of the earth and surrounded the camp of the saints in the beloved city. Uh-oh, they're surrounding us. But wait a minute. Fire came down from heaven and consumed them. And the devil who had deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire and sulfur where the beast and the false prophet were. And they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. Who wins? Jesus wins. Who loses? The beasts lose. Both beasts. And you know who else loses? Immoral culture and Satan. Yeah. Remember the great prostitute. We read that already in chapter 19. She loses because she's hard at work. She's hard at work right now with your kids and with my kids and going to be with my grandkids and with all of us. Immoral culture, dangling a carrot out, saying, hey, I got what you want. I got what you need. And uh, if you'll just trust me to have, to fill all your needs, to meet everything you need, then you'll be fine. You'll be fine. And that's what we're hearing. That's what our young people are hearing when they go out to I'm, I'm sorry, it used to be when they go out to college, but now some high schools are just as bad. I mean, you go into some high school campuses and you hear language and you see sexual innuendos and just plain out, it's, it's tough. I don't know how young Christian people can really even keep their faith today. And if you don't believe me, ask any high school teacher to be honest with you. Ask your student, ask people in your life who know, and they'll tell you, yeah, it's pretty bad. I mean, the language, it doesn't honor Christ. I want to tell you something. It is hard, hard to walk the straight and narrow in this life today, especially for our young people. We got we to gotta surround them. Remember the old timers used to pray a hedge of protection? How many of you remember that phrase? Old-timers used to pray a hedge of protection around their, their kids, and we need that, don't we? They're going to lose the beast, the culture, but we, we don't want them to take our kids down with them as they go. And that's the devil's goal. That's his goal. He knows he's going to lose, and he wants to take as many of us down with him as he goes. From preacher to pew, he would love to take us down. In a moment of... No self-restraint. In a moment of weakness, in a moment of pleasure-seeking, he would love to say, come with me. We're going to have a good time. And our culture seems to be a little bit casual about it. A little bit, oh, see you in hell. Highway to hell. Yeah, there's going to be a highway, and it's going to be a lot of people on it. But you don't have to be, because that's the third thing I want to share with you today. There is one way to escape God's wrath. Verse, 20, uh, verse 11 of 20. Then I saw a great white throne, and him who was seated on it from his presence, earth and sky fled away, and no place was found for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and the books were opened. Then another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged by what was written in the books, according to what they had done. And the sea gave up the dead who were in it. Death and Hades gave up the dead who were in them. And they were judged, each one of them, according to what they had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown 
into the lake of fire. So here's judgment day. John is painting this picture of judgment day, and we're all standing there. 2 Corinthians 5.10 says, we will all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. Scripture writers all agree on this. We're all headed to one great day, and it's not graduation day uh, in the sense that we think about it, but it is graduation day in the sense that we want to go on to the next level. But it's not a day that we can celebrate what we've done and our accomplishments, and our grades, or whatever, it's a day we can celebrate what He's done, what Jesus has done for us on the cross. Amen? Amen. And no one escapes this moment. You might be on an island somewhere, a rich island, and you don't want this because you're enjoying your life, but you're not going to escape. You might be on vacation. You might be uh, you know, uh, at work. It doesn't matter. You might be hidden in a closet, but you're going to face this day. No one gets to hide. Remember in the Bible, they were trying to get the rocks to fall on them, to hide them. No one escapes this day, but you can't escape the wrath of God. You can't escape. How do you do that? By getting your name in the book. Get your name in the book. Now, the Bible talks about books being opened here. I think one of those books is the Bible. Books and then the book of life. I think one of the books is the Bible. How did you live according to to the Bible. I mean, we don't have the Bible just for, uh, you know, Sunday reading. It doesn't exist just so we can find an inspirational verse to get us through our hard day. The Bible doesn't exist just so we can, uh, uh, you know, uh, feel good about ourselves. The Bible exists as a blueprint for our lives. The Bible exists as divine inspiration from God to saying, hey, I made you, I created you, I know what you're going to go through, and here's how you're going to make it through. Read the book. It, we, we are the, we, we, our generation, we have the Bible in more forms and methods than any other generation. Our grandparents would have loved to have been able to have what we have in our pockets and say, oh, let me just check the Bible on that. Oh, that version? Okay, let me get that version. And yet we neglect it more than any other generation. And uh, I think we're going to be judged according to the Bible. I mean, it makes sense. What's the other book? It said books. I think the other book is a book of the deeds of your life. I think I, that's just my personal view. I don't think we have any real... Uh, there's some indication here that, that we might have uh, some indication of, you know, of, that this might be the book of the deeds of your life. So there's going to be a book written, and you're going to be able to flip through, and there's your life. There's your life. Wow, oh, I forgot about that. And then there's going to be a book. Maybe it was way back in college. There's going to be a page in your book. Maybe back in college or high school or earlier in your adult life, and it's going to be a blank page. might have the date on there. It's going to be a blank page, and you and your wife are looking at it, and she says, what's on that? But let's not talk about that. Jesus erased that. Aren't you glad for forgiveness? Aren't you glad God's got a giant eraser? He, when he forgives you, he forgets it. He throws it into the deepest part of the sea, and he puts up a no fishing sign. Don't pull it up again. As far as the east is from the west. So your book, if it's got a lot of blank pages, then man, you really had a testimony, didn't you? And hopefully it's full of pages where you, you lived according to his word. He lived according to what he wanted from you. And, I, and the other book, of course, is the book of life. Now, there are different views about the book of life. Some people believe that when you're born or conceived, your, book goes, your name goes in the book of life because there's a verse that says, uh, shall not blot your name out of the book of life. That's Revelation 3, 5. 
And then there are people who believe that the book of life is the book when you're saved, when you come to Christ, that he put your name in this book. I'm not really sure. I'm not really sure. I just know, I remember the old song. Uh, you remember the old hymn, Joy, is my name written there? Is my name written there on the page wide and fair in the book of your kingdom? Is my name written there? So whether your name's added when you're, you first become a Whatever we become down there, you know, a person. We're a person, but we can, you know, we don't look like a person yet. Or whether it's when you're saved. The point is, get your name in that book. Get your name in that book and keep your name in that book. Don't let it be erased. And then there's a first resurrection. I think that's when you first come to Christ and you you come to life in Him. A second death. The second death is eternal fire. We know what that is. It tells us. Someone said, if you're born once, you'll die twice. If you're born twice, you'll only die once. You think about that and think about your life. You know, hard times are coming, folks. I believe tribulation is coming as we get closer to the end because it's going to be harder and harder for you to walk the walk. That's the way the devil is working. I think you need to, if you're in debt, get out of debt. If you're in debt for something, make sure it's something you don't want. You can live without. Do the best you can because you're going to be dependent on somebody else for your life. If you have uh, some kind of uh, situation going on with your family, make amends. Get over it. Forgive. Tell them you love them. Tell them whatever you are arguing about is not worth losing your relationship over. Yeah, but preacher, you know what they did to me. I know. I know, but... It's okay. You can forgive it, right? That's who we are. Let it go. Let it go. Get out of debt. Let the only debt remaining be love. Your love. That's what the Bible says. And we could go on down the list, but here's the important thing. Be ready. Day or night. Day or night, be ready. My my grandfather used to talk about a lady... My grandfather had some views that I didn't really agree with, but he used to talk about this lady that lived up the road. And, uh, and, and her name was Mick, M-I- Mildred, Mick, Mick for short. And, uh, you know, Mick was uh, up and down, wishy-washy. She just, you know, some days she was fired up, and some days she just was fired down. And my grandfather said one time, and I don't, always, I don't really agree with this theology, but it was it's funny. He said, uh, Mick, better hope the Lord comes back on one of her good days. And uh, every day should be a good day for us. Every day. No matter what you're doing, where you are, Jesus is Lord. Is he Lord of your life? That's the question for you today. If not, you can make it so this very day. You can come talk to me while we sing to see what your next step is as you trust in Jesus. Lord God, thank you today for this book, for this message. I thank you, God, for these people that I love so much. I pray, God, that all of us, as we love one another and our families and even those who aren't present today, that we would love them enough to help them, to bring them and help one another into the kingdom, into a saving relationship with our Savior, who is the winner, on whose side we want to stand on that great day. And that's my prayer today, God. Help us to be ready. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you want to come talk to me during this song about your next step of faith, come talk to me right over here.